0: Hey everyone, we're back with another Elite Rugby Banter podcast. I am joined by my two regular co-hosts, and you're back from the Rhino Run. How are you doing? Those legs recovered.
1: They, they did take a day or two. There's some very interesting footage of me wandering down to a hide. And when I say wandering, I very much mean hobbling, waddling, <laughs> scraping myself along the floor. Um, but yeah, no, otherwise back and get down and, and all in one piece for the most part.
0: So for our, for our international listeners, the rhino run is kind of like the bull run in Pamplona, where they just let some some animals out and everyone has to basically you know get out the way. Is that is that roughly how it went, Dad?
1: Except it's not just rhino. There were giraffes, zebra, impala, all the beasts There's a lot of stuff running at you that you had to dodge. We had to at one point we we ran around a corner and there were a couple of lions chilling there. And they, the marshals were very um, marshals being the game rangers were very. <laughs> about us staying too long to try and watch them. They're like, no, guys, you're meant to be running. Like, run.
2: How long the is lines. the run?
1: I am. 21 uh, k's on Saturday, 15 k's on Sunday. Yeah, but quite, quite a forgiving, quite a forgiving course, which was nice. And they had Amarilla shots halfway through, so that was that was great. <laughs> that
0: sounds like that's how you
1: know it's a serious event. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds like a like a South African version of the beer mile run. Did you, did you guys yeah, see guy. that um, that video of the guy in the U.S. that broke the world record for the beer mile? You guys know what that is, right? With,
1: with one shoe, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh,
0: okay. It was very impressive. Oh, nice. Insane. And Phil, how are you down there? We
1: did like a 4.30 or something, which is like insane.
0: No, really insane. Crazy. Yeah, I am no any of those sort of uh, times, but I'm
2: good. I'm enjoying some good Cape Town summer, uh, winter weather, but it's sunny here, so
0: yeah, had a good weekend. It's, it's yeah, we, we're doing an unusual thing this week in putting out an episode on Sunday night. We usually wait until Tuesday when we have uh, squads or team sheets, so we are doing something a little bit more hot off the press, sort of lukewarm off the press, because we've had a, a 24 hours or so, 20. Two and a half hours to digest the Springboks Argentina game, but there was a whole lot of other rugby this weekend. Lots of international uh, games on the go. Started some of the smaller games, perhaps. Um, the USA beat Romania 31 to 17, uh, and you said you were a little bit surprised by that result.
1: Yeah, well, USA lost out to I think it was Portugal uh, to qualify for the World Cup. So, and, uh, and Romania obviously in. in the very tricky pool with us, Ireland, Scotland, and Tonga, um, And so, yeah, the fact that they're not even beating the USA, who have not been great the last couple of years, bodes very poorly for them. Yeah,
0: they've got a tough run in the World Cup. Uh, I don't know if they'll get a win at all. Smart Money says probably not. And then Fiji- I think you can very comfortably bet on them not getting a win. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's probably one of the safer bets of a pretty otherwise uncertain World Cup. Uh, Fiji beat Japan 35-12, to 12, so that's quite a significant result, Phil. Do you agree? Yeah, it's not looking good for Japan, is it? They are
2: um, not in good form at all. We've spoke a bit about how they hadn't really had good competition like going into this year. And now that they have played in the Pacific Nations Cup, it's not going particularly well. They lost to Samoa, I think it was, and, and now they're losing to Fiji, by not just a little bit. 35-12 is quite substantial, although lapis uh, Labuschagne got an injury, in the, I mean, not an injury, a red card in the seventh minute, so perhaps that's a factor, but still. Apparently, Fiji also had three disallowed tries, so the score could have been a lot worse. And perhaps it's good for Fiji. I mean, they obviously in a group with Wales and Australia, so perhaps they'll be licking their lips.
1: I don't think it's the second, second red card in two games for, for Japan, so yeah. also something a bit concerning there that that seems to be
0: a recurring issue for them. Do you, do you know, Phil, what uh, Lapis's red card was for? It, um, it was sold to the head contact.
2: Yeah, it was, and it was one of those that wasn't, obviously, uh, like, it wasn't intentional or anything, but he went in too high, so these days, you know, if... if and the, I think it was similar to the other red cards. So Jamie Joseph had a comment afterwards saying that these they've had red cards which are not malicious or anything, but just um, bad technique. But that doesn't matter. I mean, if so you I mean have a bad it's technique… It's
1: awkward him saying that because I think he's the one meant to be coaching their technique. <laughs>
2: exactly. So there's, there's no sympathy these days from, you know, just bad technique. It's the coaches have to get it right. The players have to get it right. So if they don't sort this out, they… Have, they may blow a really good opportunity because they are in one of the easiest groups to make it out of, and they are the second seed in that group. So we'll see if they can get past England and Argentina. It it's, it's really like interesting.
1: It. Also reading the comments from the Grant Williams incident, where they like it was reckless and dangerous, and you know put the guy at severe risk. But at the same time, we acknowledge that this is just how coaches coach. So therefore, we're giving it a low entry point, and that's why I only got like two weeks from almost killing someone. it's like a really, really weird like dismissal of the responsibility basically saying it's the coach's fault so therefore the players can play on
2: it was such a bullshit uh little thing that they came out with yeah that made no sense to me like that's that shouldn't be there on the reasoning at all it shouldn't be a part of the influence
1: yeah but uh, if it is the case then you need to be like cool well then I mean, there needs to be some follow-up with who's responsible you can't to be like well the coach just coached that so you know yeah. fine. Like, there has to be some kind of, and now will Rugby are going to tell coaches, to not together? There's got to be some addressing of that kind of action, because, I mean, that's... I mean, I don't know if anyone's heard what the, the update on Grand Williams is, but, I mean, there was a thickening clash.
2: As far as I know, he, yeah, he was obviously out for this weekend and didn't travel. He had a mandatory two-week stand-down period for the concussion, so he has nothing more than a concussion, but as we know, those can be okay. more long-term. But uh, yeah. he is available
0: for selection as far as I know. Yeah, shame. Poor guy. Um, two weeks seems like a very pitiful ban for that collision. Uh, as we well, said.
1: They're, they're both out for the same number amount of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. And and Grant Williams missed an extra game because he couldn't play the entire game. So, uh, in fact, Grant Williams is out for probably longer than Juan Cruz Milieu, which makes no sense. Anyway... Um moving on to other results. So uh Samoa beat Tonga um by an unexpectedly large margin, 34 to 9. Both sides stacked with uh, experimental X All Blacks. And your feelings around that result
1: lots of very strong feelings, and I'm gonna try and keep buried. <laughs> 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 because we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Um it's interesting. I mean, Tongaev on paper, everyone it's like, ooh, they're going to be so hot. Um, but they really haven't been particularly good. I don't think they've won a game this year. Um, they've had a couple of big losses now to Samoa and I think Fiji. So, you know, obviously bringing in all these washed out ex blacks is maybe not the right play. And you should actually follow the Fiji model and have your own homegrown players playing in your team. Not maybe just a thought.
2: But uh, as we mentioned before, they got smashed by Samoa, who are in a relatively similar boat to Tonga in terms of, you know, their influx of ex-New Zealand, a couple of ex-Australians in there. But it seems to be working for them. And I didn't watch this game, so it's hard to... Uh, I, I think we don't really have proper access to any of these uh, Pacific Nations Cup matches to really know the difference between the approach of these two teams. Like, one is working a lot better than the other. Um, I think some I the
1: scan through the teams, the, team, yeah. the squads now that... You know, there's, you know, there's guys like Lilia but It's not the same extent, you know. It's not... I think, the, I mean, the, the Tongan team, it's like 13 of the starters are non-Tongan. Whereas I think for Samoa, it's like you know, there's only a couple of them.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you well <know>, you can't <laughs> claim that, that, that <laughs> you can't claim that Israel Palau and Charles Petal Tongan. They're both born in Australia and New Zealand, respectively. Played for those national teams, you live in those countries.
2: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, we've we've gone through the Samoan team also. I, I, I yeah. I, I think that there's not, like with Fiji, yeah, I am 100% behind you. Um, you know, the Fijian team is a lot more Fijian, if we're going to put it that way. But I think the Samoan team is just as bad as Tonga. Uh yeah. Whether you have the captain, Michael Ala he's, you know, they all have Samoan heritage, but because there's no league in, like, professional league in Samoa, because there's no proper structures, I think Miracle Fayana Langi is, like, the only player, and he was, like, that success story from uh, Moana Pacifica.
1: I mean, yeah. just on that, I mean, Michael never played for another country, at least.
2: That's true. Maybe that's... That's,
1: that's that's kind that's of what I mean if you look you know, just know. looking through the squad now the guys that have played, been capped by the countries off the top of my head is I think Lilio Fano uh, Saboanga obviously uh, I don't know if Tamatene ever got a cap um, you've got Lillefano. I think the big ones yeah. are Lua um, and like Charlie Palmerino. You know so it's you know there, there's, a, there's a couple but it's not it's not the same extent so, right. I mean I'm not, I'm not forgiving Samoa for it either but it's just it's it's not the same kind of
0: I don't know. My, no. Anyway, my my reading I'm of that is not to get too... Samoa Samoa had a whole lot of players who tried to play for Australia and New Zealand and failed, whereas Tonga had a whole lot of players who actually did get to the top level and play at the top level. <laughs> and then they're still they're still losing to Samoa. So uh, and there's in some interesting dynamics going on there. But I think maybe let's let's move on for the sake of time. Um a couple of other games um a few up in the northern hemisphere before we move back to the the rugby championship teams um wales coming out with a strong win over england 20 points to nine phil is our in-house england expert and uh, probably dejected fan how do you feel about that oh i was saying this was a really really painful
2: match to watch not just because england lost to wales by 11 points which is bad enough But the performance, especially this close to a World Cup, was just so disheartening. Um, Not the first-choice team. This was the first game of the warm-ups, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of changes. But the players that did play, some of them will be in the squad. A lot of them will be in the squad. But even just the sort of general direction that the team is looking to play and, um, yeah, general manner of play was just really, really poor. They obviously didn't score any tries, but uh, a lot of bad, like, basic mistakes and just not a lot going on in terms of the like way forward that you can see like the way that the team is moving in in terms of progress so not ideal from an English perspective but uh, from a Welsh perspective the one player I really enjoyed watching was Jack Morgan he's obviously in my um, draft team he's part of my legacy draft so it's always exciting to see your players do well even if it is against England so I'll be watching him with uh, close (laughs) scrutiny.
0: He he, um, he got man of the match as well as Captain Wales for the first time. So, huge, huge performance for Jack Morgan. Uh, Lee Halfpenny bringing up his 100th test. So, kudos to to Lee, a stalwart of Welsh rugby. Uh, and a worthwhile legend of the game, I think, over there. Um, and I think, you know, just to give us some kudos, I think we called this some months ago when, when both Eddie Jones and Steve Borthwick took over as coaches and we said, like, do they have enough time before the World Cup to stamp their mark on the squads and the playing style and the game plan and all the rest of it and both of those two are are struggling somewhat uh, do you think Steve borthwick can pull a rabbit out of the hat well um, oh it's looking very
2: unlikely at the moment but um, as we've said with Australia as well you know they've taken time to well they haven't got a first win under eddie jones yet but they're perhaps just from this weekend starting to look a little bit better they've got time to play into relative form especially in their easier group you know we spoke about japan not looking strong argentina not looking so flash themselves so they could easily put together a few performances in the group start to look a bit better um and then it's a quarter final against possibly wales possibly Australia, um, possibly one of the other teams, of course, but yeah, uh, it's not impossible. But the way from this first match, and even from the Six Nations, to some extent, it's b- looking very
0: unlikely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll see what happens there. I think the big difference there is that, Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, I think there is a big difference between the Eddie Jones and Steve Borthwick situation. Eddie Jones at least has twenty plus years of head coach experience. Steve Borthwick, I think, had what one or two seasons in his first head coaching position. Um, and but I think the other issue, and it's something I've mentioned before, is that Australia at least have some talented individuals. You know, they're not necessarily world class players, but like England just don't have the cattle to be a world dominant team. And I think that's what Eddie Jones struggled with. I think Eddie Jones made them punch above their weight for a long time, but fundamentally they're you look at like who their top player, their experienced players, and it's like Ellis Genge. Like he's fundamentally like not a top ten prop in the world, um, and that's who you're trying to build your side around. You know, it's like you got Marcus, who doesn't even know that the flyer's not allowed to stand at a scrum. You know, it's like how is this meant to be a world-beating team? Um, but that, yeah, it was a very poor performance. from both, I don't think Wales were particularly flashy either, um, apart from the. They're two tries. In those moments,
0: they look good. I can I see Phil uh, taking emotional bullets there. <laughs> I, I, I would
2: just like to say as a, as a one-liner, because I don't want to go into this too much, is that I would argue that in terms of individual ability and player ability, I would argue that England and Australia are on a very similar level. But perhaps that's partly because I think Australian the Australian team right now is not a particularly good one. But generally, Australia, I think, quite often have better players. But currently, I think... If you took full stock with the best available teams, it's relatively similar. I, I agree, but that's mostly
1: because I think lots of the Australian players are still quite new and rookie-ish. I think they have higher ceilings. And If you look at that as the English team, they've got a lot of 50-cap players, and I'd argue that they're as good as the like 5-cap Australian equivalents.
2: I mean, one of the most frustrating things is that almost the whole team from 2019, right, where they beat the All Blacks, they obviously lost to Springboks in the final, but they made the finals. Almost that whole team should be better than they were four years ago. They're sort of hitting their prime, and it just didn't work out for some reason. They, like, went off the rails. Like, that English team is mostly together, like, um, mostly still playing, but they've just dropped off so much. So there has been a major drop-off in four years, and, yeah, that's... Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, definitely the highlight of uh, Warren Gatlin's second second round with Wales so far, I reckon, getting a, a fairly um, notable win over England. Um, we mentioned that they played a second-string side. There were a host of Northern Hemisphere Titans that, that did similarly. One of them was Ireland, but Ireland didn't suffer a shock loss. They managed to Get a win over Italy 33 to 17. Uh there was some really enterprising play from Italy, but that seems to be sort of how how Italy games go these days. They they have some really good plays and look good on the highlights but end up losing on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Either of you have thoughts about that result? Not really. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I think it's pretty good for Ireland just in terms of building. Um, Obviously, they had quite a lot of um, players, like you say, who are not first choice and building that depth and having guys like I saw McCluskey scored a nice try. Kalen Doris played really well. Perhaps he'll be pushing for a starting spot. yeah, it's good on on from there, especially because they play in such a sort of systemic way, where they want you know the the backup players to be playing almost exactly the same way that their first team is going to be playing, and then they can bring players in. Um, for Italy, yeah, it's a little disappointing, as you say. They we've struggled to see them put together uh, a really top performance against one of the other big sides. So hopefully they'll still have time to get some. Um, momentum before the World Cup, but yeah, not 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 great from their perspective. Okay, and um, last yeah, th- thing okay.
1: okay. yeah. I, I was going to say that the thing that I kind of picked up was a lot of people applauding, I think it was Jack Crowley, the backup 10, yeah. saying that he really had a strong game and kind of making the, the lack of Sexton, or potential lack of Sexton, um, a bit more reassured, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. On, on the topic of Sexton, apparently they're organizing him a behind-closed-doors match for him to get some match fitness, which is very strange.
2: Really?
1: Considering his to,
2: ban, yeah. Yeah, are they allowed to do that? It's uh, Twitter's debating it currently. Uh, okay. That uh, sounds like... But it's like it sounds Ow. very...
0: That's very dodgy. I mean, those of us that uh, grew up playing Copper Stump at school, like, (laughs) you may as well just do 80 minutes of Copper Stump and take some contact and play some plays and stuff. I mean, uh, a full game sounds a little bit ridiculous. But also, like, if you're banned from games,
1: I suppose the ban says banned from meaningful games. So Does that mean you're allowed to play non-meaningful games? Like, they're playing for, like, the club, the team or something. Is that allowed? I don't know.
2: Meaningful sounds like the most uh objective I mean subjective <laughs> like thing in the world. Like what what is meaningful to one person is not meaningful to another.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think
1: it's, that if they say that to stop you saying, like, oh yeah, no, he was definitely gonna line up for like his local club 13 team this weekend. He was hundred percent gonna line up for the game, therefore it counts again. was trying to make it like test level or first class games, but again, there's that's actually subjectivity, as you say.
0: He probably qualifies for like the island veterans side, like the island legends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the Legends side. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, Ireland getting a win. So that's good for their momentum. But as we said, it's not the same players who we will see line up at the World Cup. Uh, probably the most, I think, influential Northern Hemisphere result was in the Scotland-France game, playing in Glasgow. They usually play it very
1: what, what happened in that game, Andrew?
0: Um, Scotland got a famous win uh, against France, 25-21. to 21. Uh, Go the Scots. I was uh, very happy to see that. The first half was pretty dreadful as a Scottish supporter. Uh, France got a few very flary tries. Uh, they had this very young winger who uh, was a red scrub cap and was all over the place. He was really good. I can't remember what his name was though. Oh, yeah. it's, it's even hard to pronounce. Um, I yeah, have I'm not
2: proud of me, but I'm scared French to get it thing.
0: wrong. Yeah. I just decided to stay away. It's uh, very
1: annoying that they, they've managed to copy paste Valera with this new kid and copy paste yes. um, Peno with uh, Demortier. Like they <laughs> look exactly the same and they play exactly the same way. Like I was watching the game, I was like, I swear they've got. Vill- I, yeah. I thought Valera and and Penno <laughs> were playing before I looked at the team sheet. I was like, oh, this is literally just copies of them. But yeah. play that's play the same style, it's
2: bizarre But one yeah. of the scary things also so, Sorry Andrew, I'm interrupting you correctly no, no, is, yeah. is just the 30, that 13 and 14 The both youngsters it's, I think it's Gaelton and Biel Bieri The two players They both were eligible to play in the under 20 tournament But they held them back So France won easily, oh. they smashed Ireland in the final And they held back their two players So that they could join the main squad So that's kind that's of scary correct. going forward
0: But uh, yeah, carry on Andrew Sure. Uh, I didn't quite realise that that's pretty insane. French rugby is on such an up at the moment, but um, they suffered a loss to Scotland for the first time in forever. Um, Scotland played... Oh, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scotland played a full-strength side, interestingly. Uh, I think Scotland and, and maybe... Maybe Italy, I'm not exactly sure. Played played full-strength sides out of the Northern Hemisphere teams. Um, they, Like I said, the first half looked very disjointed. I feel like it was fairly evenly matched, except for the scoreboard. The French did score a few like, tear-away tries. Um, but, I mean, it was all due to them. But in the second half, Scotland really uh, kicked on and, and hit again, found some cohesion and looked really good. Blair King won at 15 in particular. I think he was actually player of the match, but he, he looked really, really slick. Yeah. Um, similar sort of similar sort of effect to, I feel like a Damien Willemser at 15, like a little bit of X-factor, a bit of pace, um, beat a few defenders. So he's looking really top-notch, Finn Russell doing Finn Russell things. Um, Hugh Jones was very quiet. I barely heard his name called at all during the game. Um, but Tupolotu, he's got stuck in. So, yeah, overall, I think a great result for Scotland. A little bit demotivating for France. I think they, they should have expected to win regardless. Uh, so yeah, I think interesting times ahead, but I think France, it, it won't really knock at all. I think France's reputation as being one of the tournament favourites going in. It's just a, most, mostly an important result for Scotland.
1: I mean, Gaultier came out and said as much, saying it, but the result really doesn't stress him.
2: Yeah, and I think they're playing again this weekend. In Paris or yeah. in somewhere in France, so that will be uh, an, a chance to immediately reverse it, and then I think they'll be fine in terms of momentum. Um, one of or one of the players that I really enjoyed watching and have enjoyed for a while is Darcy Graham. He was again like yeah. electric every time he got the ball, just looking to make something happen. Uh, I think he scored a try too, and um, yeah. yeah, very good. I also really like uh, Pilatu just because I think he surprises me like I I don't think he took the ball into contact very much at all but his subtle touches are especially uh, nice to see you know especially for such a big man so just because of his size I think even though it's becoming more common now people still expect him to take it up and I think that puts people like defensively on a different sort of um, footing so it creates space for everyone else and it's really nice. I think if you have to commit numbers, because if he does choose to run it, you know, you can't be standing off him. So
1: you kind of, it's the same thing with Nonu, you know, like the fact that he was such a singular running threat meant that when he did play his other tricks, they were so much more effective than just like a standard distributing 10, I mean, distributing 12. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think, you know, you saw bits of that with SNAs and with the spring box, like yep. also, you know, commits a lot of bodies, but he's got some of that deftness of hand and foot that he can bring to the table, which is you know, quite quite effective. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, Darcy Graham is playing like a, a Cheslin Colby kind of role for, for Scotland. He's that small, wiry, like punch above your weight, uh, can do something out of nothing uh, kind of kind of outside back. So it's really exciting what you can play. And then, of course, he's complemented or contrasted on the other wing with um, Doohan van der Merwe. At uh, like 1.95 metres or something stupid. Um, but he didn't have the most outstanding game. But yeah, that is the Scottish first side. So good result for them. Historical, I think, if nothing else. And good good momentum for the World Cup.
2: I think, uh, before we move on, just quickly, yeah, the one thing that happened which could be of consequences. Xander Ferguson got a yes. red card. And he's, I think he's first choice uh, loosehead for them at the moment. So he, or tight head, sorry, I uh, him uh, loosehead. So if he gets a ban of more than two matches, he will miss the Springbok game. So very interesting to see what the what they come up with. No, he's going to get two
1: weeks then, let's be honest.
2: But I, I think he's got, um, he's done like almost exactly the same thing before in the Six yeah. Nations to Alan Wynn jones And last time he got three weeks. So... It would be really, really <laughs> controversial. But, like you say, and not surprising <laughs> if he gets like two weeks. No, completely <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah I I would have had a, a, a really roller coaster weekend if it was um, URC draft because I've got both Faguson and Schumann. And Schumann had a great game and scored a try, and Faguson got a red card. So, contrasting fortunes there. Um, the interesting thing is that. I think the likely replacement for Ferguson in a starting um tight head is Vierpin Null. So we could have Pierre Skuman and Virpin Null playing against the Springboks, Jesus. along with Duan Funamova. Vier is still going, huh? Yeah, he's still in the mix. Crazy. All right, so we're happy to move on uh, to the rugby championship sides. Of course the rugby championship is finished. The Bledisloe Cup is well, it was still ongoing until the weekend. Um, New Zealand fielding uh, sort of a minus slash B plus side. Um, they rotated in a few of their players who haven't got as much game time recently, uh, and they went behind early um, in the first, almost not almost off the kickoff, but not quite. Uh, Australia managed to get a try, and then a second try within another few minutes. So they were immediately on the back foot, New Zealand, and had to. Pulled together as a rather, uh, a lot of new combinations and new players playing together, Sean Stevenson getting a debut. Um, did either of you catch, uh, catch this game at 4am in the morning? I assume not. I did not wake up at 4
2: o'clock, but I managed to catch it when I woke up many hours later. Um but yeah, I enjoyed the game. I think Australia were very much improved and to me it looked like they the combos that they selected for this game seemed to be a lot more on point. Um, if I look at the loose forwards I don't understand maybe injury but maybe some other stuff why Fraser McRae hasn't been being picked more regularly so far. But he, for me, he's their outstanding number 7 um, by quite some distance. I think he's much better than even Michael Hooper these days. Tom Hooper had his best game so far uh, yes. out of out of his three games, which maybe there wasn't a high ceiling, but he had a really, really strong game. He, um, I think he made 18 tackles without missing any. He obviously scored a nice try, but it was also just... I was insane. He, he was just, like, effective as a ball carrier, which I haven't seen um, in his previous two matches. And Valentini, obviously, is one of their best ball carriers at eight. So that trio was really good. Um, and then having, I think, having uh, Frost together with... I can't remember which arnold it is <laughs> one of the arnold's richie arnold i was gonna say the one with an r but yeah um i i think it helps because if you have arnold and Skelton, i think they're both too sort of big if that makes sense whereas they, it, with frost it it uh, has a little bit more of a dynamic makeup of that second row and then bill again was really good periki went off really early so it meant Matt Faesler had a lot to do, but the, and what's his name, um, Pone silly, I think he was actually really good until he had to go off injured, um, they asked a lot of him, but he stood up for that first half especially, and they just dominated the first half to be honest, they had almost all of the ball, and they managed to you know, starve New Zealand of any attacking
0: opportunity. Yeah, uh, Farmer Silly's injury is a is a fairly big concern uh, to Australia. I don't know how serious it is, but he, he was already like a third string, you know, in his position. So, not that much depth to cover him up, but uh, as you say, I he I think Harry take... Johnson Holmes is also injured, huh? Yeah, he's still got a niggle, he's still out. So, so I don't
1: know that's if he'll be... Their yep. four first-choice tight
2: are all gone. Yeah, and Zane so Nongor is Nong next, yeah. So, yeah, then Nongo, like
1: Matt Gibbon, I heard Rees Neck's name being mentioned. It's yeah, That's is very scratchy there for the Wallabies, which is very worrying.
2: I mean, I think they were very, very determined to keep Famasili on when it was obvious that he was struggling quite a lot because they had to bring Nongo on, and he's just not quite at this level yet. He's still young, so maybe, but uh, he was thrown into the deep end for sure.
0: Hmm. Yeah, non
2: But like-
1: essentially, I mean, that their scrumming cost them the game. That last penalty, to be
2: fair. Sure. Yeah, but they yeah. they dominated the first half. I think um, from a New Zealand perspective, it was very worrying that Marty Williams gave away I think two or three penalties from uh, at the scrum, and and just that their forwards were getting uh, out outplayed. Um, yeah, they didn't play their first choice props and first choice hooker even, but uh, they still had a strong like they still had Kane, Sevilla, White, Lock, Retallick playing.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, but Williams was, I mean, I don't actually know their prop picking. Obviously, the front two are settled, Lomax and the group. But, you know, the next four, I mean, Williams is very much in that conversation of World Cup and stuff. So it's not like he's like, you know, Dallas McLeod getting a cap just for funsies. like he's very much in the, the picture for the World Cup.
2: I think we'll see Moody come back into the squad. They might be a bit desperate, but, you know, he's so coming he's, back. He's, he's a loser, though, anyway. He is at least So league. he wouldn't, wouldn't help on Williams' side. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: It's a uh, worry for them. Um, another one I thought should have really stamped his mark on the game but didn't is uh, Sami Soni Takeaho who I would have mm. picked at the beginning of this international season ahead of Cody Taylor. Uh, but clearly, you know, I shouldn't be an all-backs coach because, well, maybe he was rusty, um, given that he's played behind Cody for a couple of games now. But he, I mean, he, he's usually such an impactful player and he didn't really make his mark this game. Mm. Um, Brody, Retalick also went off injured. I don't know if either of you know how serious that was. Sure. Uh, um, but he, he's been in very good form recently, so I'm sure the All Blacks are sweating on that one. Uh, I don't Penny know
1: how hard they're sweating there. I mean, you've got Whitelock and, and Barrett, you know, they, and even know, like, they've got some pretty strong, strong options there, but obviously they wouldn't want to be losing Retalick.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel know. it. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. And Whitelock was really good. I mean, last week, Andrew, you and I spoke about how mm. perhaps he's going to be a bench option because the other two are playing so well. But I think he put his hand up when he got a chance to start. So it's a tough one if the, all three of them are fit, what what combination they go
0: with. Mm. Yeah. Um, another who didn't shoot the lights out was uh, DMac, Damien McKenzie, who had a chance again to... Claim. I mean, I am not gonna say that he's in contention to overtake Richie Moonga as first choice fly half, but um, yeah, we expected more, especially after he he started off the international season so well, um, playing uh, playing a fly half. So a bit disappointing for him, unfortunately. Braden uh, Brandon Enno went off injured. Um Lester Fanganuku had some some sort of Fanganuku type runs. Um and yeah, so Sean Stevenson got a try on debut. Apparently, he scored a try on debut for every single professional side he's ever played for, like. Including. That's a cool stat. Yeah, six out of six. That's yeah, yeah, All Mar- Blacks, and Chiefs, and Waikato, and all sorts. So it's
2: get pretty- get get him to a shitty team and see if he can do it again. Um, <laughs> 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 but it, but it's interesting. So last week we spoke about how the Barretts, especially Geordie um, and Bowden were like very much the unsung heroes and the the more reliable and stable players and when you take them out of that back line especially it definitely wasn't quite as functional right so I, I'm really disappointed with um, Anton Leonard Brown he's one of my favorite players and I think he's lost quite a bit since his uh, multiple injuries so I think his place in the World Cup squad is in some doubt but I think he might still go but just as a very backup option, but he's a lot behind Jordy now as a 12 option. Um, and Jordan was still good at fullback, but I think less impactful than we've seen him on the wing.
0: Yeah, um, Richie, I mentioned D- D-Mac didn't play well, but Richie Munga did come on later and have a really good impact. I think to be fair, to be fair to to D-Mack, the the game had already shifted its momentum by that point. But Richie really put the nail in the coffin. He know, yeah. Came on and, and really lit up the field. He was exceptionally good. So, yeah, those first choice all black players are looking really hot right now. Like we we said last week. Any other comments? This
1: game kind of really showed. It just it re- it kind of really highlighted the the first 15 versus the rest. Apart from maybe at lock, and I think the rest of the players still played well enough to show that they must be around. But you know, it kind of showed that Geordie is, is
2: the 12th, Odin
1: is the fifteen, Richie is the ten.
0: You know.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think one player who, who has a chance who started this one is Fineganuka. Um, mm. I think he's be- a better option for me than Clark, but maybe not Talia because they they have played Talia at eleven, so perhaps Talia would be first choice eleven, but um. I think he has a, an opportunity with Stevenson. It's a bit uh, tough if you saw like both of the first two tries; those early two tries were both on his wing, and he wasn't directly at fault for either of them. But it was still a relatively soft attempt, you know. And I think he can get targeted in like that defensive role. So I don't know if they'll back him. It'll be interesting to see their squad coming up this week.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh from Australia, so just some last comments. Um Tate McDermott captaining them for the first time um from Scrum Half. I think there was a surprising call given some of the other players in uh, in the lineup, but things seem to go okay for him. And uh his halfback partner Carter Gordon, I think looks the real deal. Uh he hasn't disappointed so far in a Wallabies jersey in four games, I think two starts, two bench performances. And every time I think he's he's done really well, either through his signature sort of flash moments, or in this game, you know, just his basics, his distribution, his kicking, really, really good. So I'm, I, I mean, I've made no bones about the fact that I prefer him to quake Cooper despite his inexperience. But it'll be interesting to see if Eddie keeps backing him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely the right option
2: going forward. And I think him and the back three, like they've nailed the combo now. Obviously, Winivalu's out of the picture, rightfully so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But the Karabiti, Naoanganitawase, and Kelawe were all really good. Um, The centers, I'm not 100% sure about. Karevi is nowhere near his best, where we've seen him. But, you know, also Rusty hasn't been playing at the top level. And Pataia is Pataia. You know, he he has moments (laughs) of brilliance, but he seems like... Especially as a 13, where they're playing him. Because he's such an unstructured player, like... Having him on the wing or even a fullback is a little bit less risky than having him in such a important position. I think.
0: Yeah, It's uh, just, just good to see the Wallabies playing some good rugby because we've seen we've seen some rather abject performances from them in the last few weeks. So to see them just getting some good phase rugby together, some good set pieces, a little bit of spark here and there, but generally just playing good rugby. I think that'll be very encouraging for Eddie Jones. Looks like he's trending the right way, but we've also discussed he's got some very difficult games before the World Cup, uh, and then he'll have a chance to play himself into our players' team into form during the pool stages, um, but hoping they don't slip up, obviously. So, yeah, Australia in an interesting place right now. All right, and then uh, lastly, just for the weekend, uh, on Saturday evening, South African time, in Buenos Aires, the Argentinian capital, the Springboks played Uh, Los Pumas. Uh, It was a rotation again for the Springboks against a mostly first-string Argentinian side. Martin Borgado coming in for Juan Cruz Malia. Otherwise, not too many other sort of terrible losses in in player quality. Uh, And the Springboks coming off a one-point win, I think um, people were a lot less confident this week in... Number one in a way win, but number two the team that was put out. Uh, but obviously, as uh, history tells us, got a, a good win, 24 points to 13, um, and uh, a good win and could have been even better.
1: Eh? It's weird. I don't know if I'd call it a good win in many metrics beyond the scoreboard. I mean, obviously it was fairly comfortable in the end and. As you alluded to, you know we had three disallowed tries, we you know missed 11 points of goal, you know we had, could quite easily have put 40 points on them, and apart from you know the, the quick tap try, they really didn't look like they were going to score that much. Um, so you know you're looking at it from that perspective, and it's quite positive. But at the same time, I don't think you can say we played particularly well. You know I think playing and Moody obviously had a very good game, but apart from him, I don't think anyone was really exceptional.
0: Phil, your
2: thoughts? Yeah, I think it was definitely um overall a better game for the Springboks than the previous week. But that first half and especially at halftime, I think the mood and the general, you know, thinking of most Springbok fans would have been pretty negative. But they came out super strong after halftime scoring those two quick tries. Um And, yeah, and Sid, you know, Moody had a strong game, but the others didn't, and I think that's fair, because everyone else was a bit, you know, hot and cold, so very good moments from the likes of Libak and Willemsa, even Esterhuis and um, some of the forwards, but everyone also just didn't quite look like they were able to put in like a, a really sustained good performance, and a lot of these players were playing for their you know, World Cup spots, and like we said last week with some of them, perhaps they haven't done enough to put their hands up. Um, and one that you you mentioned, Andrew, when we were talking about it, like Franco Mostert was a bit worrying in terms of not just his card, and maybe that exacerbated it, but uh, just his general performances throughout the year as well.
0: Yeah, he used to be Mr. Utterly Reliable, like the, the donkey workhorse uh, kind of player, uh, just like not very very low error rate, gets through a whole lot of work. Won't light up a game for you, but will do a job, complete like 100% reliably. And we're seeing him now, you know, falling off tackles, not being as impactful, not well disciplined, um, losing line-out ball. Uh, so yeah, very worrying from a Springbok point of view because he was a uh, and a very important part of the bomb squad, um, allowing us to to play an extra loose forward, obviously covering lock. Uh, as well as as blindside flank, so yeah, not not sure how I feel about that one. Um, there isn't really a, a similar replacement for him. I mean, Peter Steff is also a blindside slash. Well, he's not really played lock much at all uh, in recent times, but he could if if called upon. Um, we don't. I guess we have the likes of Dion Ferry, who covers two two positions in the squad. Jean Luc Dupre who Incidentally, had a flippin' brilliant game off the bench, uh, two really clutch uh, steals. You know, he could fill that role as well. But um yeah, and and I think, do you think do you think Franco is going to still go to the World Cup? And do, the, do I the, mean,
1: the, the, the smart money has to be on Franco going, right? just because he obviously got the experience and been in the squad. And, you know, Jean Luc only got thirty minutes or twenty five minutes, whatever it was, to prove himself. But then you know, I think Jean Luc showed that he's got that hunger, and on the, the prem. I think that you know, a lot of criticism used to be leveled towards me that he didn't have drugs. Um, he has added to that, that game. So I think it's long enough for him to go, but I, I'm all of a fan I like a very carrying on side, even back to like John Dazel days. Um, you know, so I do have a bit of a, a favourite for him but Based on this performance, you know, I think he's, he's definitely muscled his way closer to the conversation. than I think maybe people would have had him uh, before this match, um, but I think it's going to be a really really interesting mix, and a lot of it there's going to be a lot of really swing positions in the squad um, depending on whether they go for twenty four or nineteen or eighteen etc. Maybe they go for five props and five locks or six props and five locks, and then you like go down to Lucy. So you know, I don't I definitely don't think the door's closed on him. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, and even if he does go, you know, how much game time will he actually get?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say that like Jean Baptiste is the the best option to re- potentially replace Franco Mossad. I don't think he's quite been bad enough that he's not going to get included at all in the squad, or even probably in the first twenty three against Scotland. Um, he hasn't played that much this year and I, if I'm not mistaken his Japanese team is not very good either so he <laughs> he he doesn't play at the top level I think in Japan um which is not a good excuse because you know that's not that is something that he has a bit more control over but um the squad is just going to be so interesting because there are players who miss out who are going to be very hard done by just because they've got about you know a squad of 40 now, and whoever doesn't make it is, it's going to suck for them. Um, but yeah, I I I enjoyed the performance from jean luc Dupre. So right now, based on that, and maybe it, it just that recency bias, I I would quite like to see his name come up in that sure. uh, squad we see this week. I think it's it's always. I think I'd like to see
1: him start against Wales. And give him a proper, you know, 80-minute run of blindside and see you know, how he does there. And you know, especially after this weekend, yeah. you know, he's for Wales, such a strong loose forward career. It would be a very good test.
2: But I think he'll only play against Wales if he makes that final squad, so.
0: Yeah, fair. It's always, it's always going to be a question of, you know, who does he go in place of? Who do you, who do you drop instead? Um, Phil, do you think uh, Kenan Moody has done enough to stamp his, or book his ticket? Didn't I mean, he was fringe. I mean if he hasn't then what else did he
2: need to do right like 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 we said he was probably the top uh, performing Springbok from the weekend Um, I think he showed enough but he also showed a point of difference like if you think of the 14 he's behind he's behind Colby he he's not like the same sort of player as Colby, but just a little bit weaker or a little bit less experienced. He's a different type of player, so I really like that because, you know, options depending on who you're playing against, different potential game plans. Like we've said, Colby, for his size, he's pretty amazing in the air, but there's no getting away from the fact that he is, you know, five foot something. Um, Whereas Moody is a lot bigger of a player. I think even in this game, he looked pretty good under the high ball. He just gives you a little bit more of that uh, steadiness, I guess, and it's hard to criticise Colby for that. But you know, it's it is what it is. Um, I would like to see him there, but like you said, it's really tough because it's who 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 loses out on a spot.
0: Um, can you afford to take four wings? Like on the other wing, um, you yeah, know, was also potentially playing for his spot in the squad, um, mm. and he's a former shark, or he is a shark. Sorry. Um did he did he do enough for you? Um they both had pretty good games, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, it's tricky because I mean, you know, you've got McMype's still the only genuine eleven in the squad. I mean certainly Aronson has been filling in eleven, but mostly plays right wing. Um the same with Moody and same with Colby. So you know McMy's also got the advantage of being at the last cup. So he's probably got a bit of a, a legacy advantage there, but you know, this was his best game and it was still relatively quiet. You know, I mean, it didn't help it yet. Moody's starting on the other side, but, you know, he did seem a bit better, a bit more urgent and finally got, you know, that's high but I think he's, he's got to be caught from that list of wings. So, you know, it's really going to come down to similar to the loose forward position. Is you know, just how many do they want to take? You know, do we take four wings? Do we take seven loose forwards? Um, I think that, you know, they're the ones on the edge that are going to get cut if we have to cut, um, yeah, it's it's, it's
0: unlucky for them to be. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Tricky thing. I mean, someone who has probably got a guaranteed spot in the squad is Damien Willemser, just by virtue of his utility. And we've been calling for a long time for him to get some game time at 15. Uh, He got a full 80 minutes and I think uh, really impressed, hey Phil?
2: Yeah, I was impressed with him. it's such a tough one because that sort of performance makes me think he should have been playing a lot more at 15 he should have got more game time but we know Villy had a sort of second wind of his late springbok career where for a while it seemed like they were going to phase him out and then he's become another part of the integral back line um but he it, it was his best performance at least of the year if not for like a few seasons now uh, at 15 it was worrying when it looked like he potentially got injured at some point but yeah like you said his versatility means you cover at least 15 12 and a third choice 10 um at a push uh, we don't really want to see him there but you know as a extreme cover option um he was good he's definitely in the squad for me uh if anything i mean Again, it would be un, almost unthinkable to leave someone like Hazen out. But can you have, or do you need a three 12s if you think of Willemser as a 12 option?
1: Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, 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 Yeah, he's also, he's also one of the fringe guys, I think. There, But uh, just, just on Willemser, I think, you know, I completely agree with one of his best performances. And I think you saw... The, 15 <laughs> a much more natural role for him, where he can be in the wide channels, do a lot of his as we were all shouting on Saturday every time we got the ball. It was like huge you know, take away responsibility of trying to distribute and things. Just kind of like because he's always been a step first, pass second player, which is great for the wide channels because you can try and beat a guy with his feet, and if it doesn't work, he can just shovel the ball on. And I think that's what K worked for. Him. Him, he's tried. He like kind of got half on the outside and then managed to pop a ball and like that's what he's good at and you you know you you see him occasionally even in this game still giving the ball at kind of 10 and he's still trying to step his way to just run sideways and you know he's a big boy and he's got good feet so he still you know doesn't necessarily lose the contact but it's just it kind of stalls your attack for a phase um so i think yeah playing from 15 is definitely a much better position for him Mm. um or even 12.
0: yeah I mean there was a there was a time in the game where Marnie LeBock was struggling and I think a few people were wondering whether or not Damien Williamson would either take over ten or at least take over goal kicking duties because Marnie was having a terrible time. I think it was two out of six at one point. Uh, but I think, you know, from my perspective, letting LeBoch refine his sort of compass and get his confidence back rather than ending the game on a Sort of uncertain note i think was really important he is a confidence player but you know given that he if we'll, we'll see what pollard or what level pollard is playing at when he comes back but seeing that he is our sort of second choice fly half it is worrying for him to leave so many points out on the field Yeah, not that's a very big stress
1: I think, you know, that's why I was very impressed with Dion Thierry's captaincy when he took over. Um, you know, they continued pointing for post, and I think it, it probably was good for Lubac, but it's worrying that we've only really got one properly test level kicker in the squad. Um, I'll still mandate that I think Shane Ender can do a job, and you just need the chance, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's worrying that... that the box kicking what 65% of the Springboks and even his URT form was 75% or something this year.
2: Yeah, it's certainly uh, a, a point of um, worry for the Springboks. And we're just not sure on Pollard's recovery. Um, it hasn't sounded amazingly positive, but I'm sure we'll see in
0: the next few weeks. Yeah, he has to. He has to play against Wales and New Zealand, you'd think. You know, in order to have a, a decent decent shot at getting into form in the World Cup. And same probably goes for Sia. I mean, we've been a lot more positive about Khaleesi's recovery, but he needs game time. And he needs to be tested in you know, match situations. They're, they're both 100% going to France, but um, it's worrying from the Springbok side that we haven't seen them playing. Right, they're both just yeah. a few
1: That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think I think some of the, the, one of the trickiest questions coming out of this game is outside centre. You've got Lukanyo, who's um, been a bit out of form. Like obviously facing a little bit of an injury now, but I think Creel had one of his better games at outside centre. I've seen him play. Sure. He was running a lot less laterally. Um, you know, he's committing defenders well in the outside channel, straightening the line at the last minute. Um, you know, so so I suppose the two questions is one. If I'm as fit but out of form, do you just play Creel? And then the second question is, if I'm as injured,
0: who nice. do we bring
1: in as the replacement? Who's the third choice, thirteen? You know, does it Damien Do we shift out? Is it Caden Moody moving into thirteen? Um, you know, do you call up like Ruan null for Lionel or Poo?
2: Like, oh shit! <laughs> no, it's a problem. It's it's, it's, it's really worrying. Whoever you choose, it's untested, right? We haven't we haven't uh, provided for that. We haven't made provision for a third choice. Thirteen having to play.
0: Isn't um, isn't Jan Surponten still playing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh god, uh, yeah, it's, it's very stressful after that situation. I think like what I would imagine it might just be Moody just because he's got some experience and you know if you looked at his outside in reads on the weekend he did them really well yeah. he's in the squad at least so he knows the systems yeah. and you know so that's probably a big uh, plus in his name to go to the World Cup as well ahead of the 20. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it is really concerning that you know we've got one of our best players even a year ago not in form um, and we don't really have anyone else besides Creel to cover
0: you know I, I thought Lukanyam had a really good game um he I didn't I think he was playing himself into some really good form. He had some really good defensive reads, he carried well. Um I think And you mentioned on the WhatsApp group he he chose when to pass and not to pass well. Um he decided to mm-hmm. hang on to the ball maybe a bit more than he normally does, but he he was effective. They were the right calls so. though, yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I, I also think he had one of his best games this year for sure. Yeah, so uh, uh,
0: but you know, Krill Krill is a uh, Looking like a very safe backup, but geez, once you once you scratch further than that, you've actually un- <laughs> you've uncovered a black hole. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, I could see even like uh, Ant said as one of one of the options, like Damien, de Alenda pushing out even him or Moody. Like those are the options rather than bringing someone else
0: in, just because yeah, <laughs> because of those options or the lack thereof. Yeah, just that if you think of like an Esther Hazen and de Alenda. Uh, oh god <laughs> like that's just two battering rams really yeah I'd rather have Valimsa and the Islander and Delendi yeah uh,
2: what's so.
1: kind of worrying though is that even if we play Estes and Delendi it's probably still only about the same size midfield as the All Blacks but a lot less subtlety and speed
0: mm. yeah yeah and is huge he could play lock and, and so is I mean so is Rico He's Rico's also a big boy nice, so yeah
1: yeah, Rico is quite large. And Rico's a lot quicker than Delendi, and Jordi's just better than
0: Esther. Yeah, true. True. Yeah, okay. Well, it's not all roses then. Um, <laughs> uh, Down note to finish that on. Well, let's, let's maybe just spend some time on the forwards because I know mean, we, we, we've been going over, we haven't spent too much time talking about them other than Mostert um, and Deon Frees captaincy, but um, I thought the, the locks went particularly well. Um, Jean Klein carried very strongly. He was impactful on defense as well. I think he got through a bunch of tackles. Uh, was, Phil, I think you've got the stats. He was the top carrier, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, Jean Klein was very impressive. Uh, 13, 13 carries for 25 meters, and he also made nine tackles and didn't miss any,
0: so very good performance from him, and he played the full 80. Uh, solid from him and um yeah his lock partner also looked good until he went off but yeah uh, I think our lock stocks are very healthy which is which is good um our loose forwards Jasper visa has he has he taken his jersey back from an informed dwayne forlin Uh did he do enough and shaking his head
1: <laughs> I'm ready for the full to put up the stats, but
0: uh he wh- just wh- seems to be
1: falling back into his uh schizophrenic tendencies of being you know a bit error prone doing some stupid things as well as doing good stuff whereas you know last year he, I think the big strides he made in this game was cutting out all this, the the negatives um, and some of them those seem to be creeping back into his play this year
2: yeah i think for me it wasn't it, it wasn't the worst game we've seen him play or even start as the springbok eight but like Ann said there there were just too many moments where he either didn't make the right decision or he made an error or um or it, it just didn't quite go the right way uh, like he was pretty solid in terms of just the stats i think he he had a high number of carries and um made good meters he didn't uh, beat any defenders or make any clean breaks But you know He did what was required of him But he also That go forward which we've seen him have more of an impact And previously he didn't quite have that um, So I, I think that I agree Dwayne has just surprised me When he has played That he's still able to play at a pretty high level Despite being you know via PNL's age um, So yeah I, I think for that first game against Scotland, I think Dwayne is in the,
0: um, in the running to be the starter. Yeah, he also brings leadership and other other aspects as well. Um, I think I've figured out who we can drop to make space for for Moody and Jean-Luc and all those other good players. I, I, Joseph Dweber, he is horrendous. I'm just not so not a fan. He he's like he threw a skew lineup which wasn't called. He he had, like, two unforced errors in his short time on the field. He had one or two nice carries, but, like, that's not enough to be a spring ball hooker. Is it a skew line-out if it doesn't get called? Well, yeah, objectively. <laughs> um,
2: I, I I think he wasn't great. He wasn't great, I agree. I, I think that he wasn't quite as bad, as you say. Perhaps <laughs> there is a little bit of the negative um, bias coming on. But he wasn't good, and I agree with you that he is one of the players who it feels like he needed a stronger performance than he had. He hasn't put his hand up for a while for Stormers or Springboks, to be ever. honest.
1: That's like, has Edgeweber ever had a good performance for Springboks? No.
2: That's, and even his URC form is dodgy. Yep. Yeah. He like he was amazing for a small a short ish period at the cheetahs, but that's a long time ago now and it's also at a different level. So um it's worry. Uh we haven't tried any other hookers, so I hate the idea of Dion Furry as a backup, even just because he hasn't played hooker and he seems like he I feel like he's a different shape to when he used to play as a hooker. He's gotten a little bit leaner. Maybe I'm just imagining things. But if he gets called upon to play hooker, it's worrying. But if it provides more space in the squad, then I'm for it. But it's a really tough one, and especially for the coaches to make in terms of that decision.
1: The thing is, at least we know Marks can go for 80. So we'd only need to be, you know, like say it's World Cup final. You can start Max comfortably and have Dion Fourier on the bench as a, you know, Life jacket option. The issue is if Marks goes down, Bongi is not an 80 minute player. Um, so then you need to make allowance for Dion to actually play.
2: So, would you exclude Dweber?
1: I mean, I, I suppose ideally you'd want to go back in time and give sort of options to like Yana Hrobla or something.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: it's probably you know it's obviously too late. They've invested in, in Dweba now, and he's like the player. But I just really haven't seen enough of him. I'd rather just play Wongi to like seventy, and then you bring on a Deon Free for ten minutes or something. Like Deon Free's is not going to be he'll be less physical, but I mean he's not going to be worse.
0: Uh, Indeed, you I have to you have to expect that the majority of minutes of the World Cup will be shared between Bongi and Marks. Um, which means, why are you taking Dweber? If you've got a Dion who who needs to stand in at the last second, he can as a bench option. But if those two are going to play all of the games for you, I mean, who, who, who starts, who benches, doesn't really factor into it. Um, why are you taking Dweber? Like when you've got other players, if, if, if Bongior-Marx gets injured, sure, Dweber's on a plane, or he's already in France, you know? Yeah. Um, why, why take him in the squad?
1: If you think about it, I mean, how much did Brits actually play at the last World Cup? I mean, he captained that one match from number eight, mm. but how much did he actually play at hooker? I don't yeah. think, I mean, he I, didn't, didn't feature in any of the five big games, and in one of those small games he played at eight, so like, yeah. you're really looking at Dweber, only played 100 minutes or so, max. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's, I mean, it's an interesting I a one. I think that's
1: worth it to give a plane ticket, as you say, Andrew.
2: And, like, against a match against Romania, for example, that is a match where perhaps you'd feel a bit more comfortable playing for at Hooker if you needed to, just because it's lower stakes. Uh, potentially not as strong scrummaging opponents. Maybe that's harsh in Romania. But, yeah, I, I think you both make good arguments for it. And perhaps perhaps the coaches will... I'm sure they're thinking about it, but it, it it's just such a tough decision, I think. The idea of not taking three established hookers is a scary one. Yeah,
1: established is maybe the key there, though. We don't have three established hookers anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think
0: that's the point I'm trying to make. Um yeah, there's probably not too much more to be said about this. We had two props who I thought it was good to get game time, but uh, and I'd like to see both of them potentially going to the World Cup if there's space, but they didn't shoot the lights out. I think we pretty much know who our starting props are, uh, so not much you know, new information there. Anything else that you guys want to bring up about the game before we close?
1: Yeah, I'm annoyed that we didn't score another six points. Uh, and take the number three ranking from France.
2: Especially if you think about the um, not just the missed kicks, but also the held up over the lines. Those two were, I think, just really irritating, just because it's like they didn't try to do something a little bit different. It was just, you know, keep pick and go, pick and go, with not even a little bit of variation or a little bit of... um, you know, something like slightly changing the point of contact or shifting the focus a tiny bit. It was very much just pick up and go, pick up and go, which makes it super obvious. And unless you're completely going over without anyone, it's easy to get under the ball. And because of the change in rule where now it's a goal line dropout compared to it used to be well, you get the ball back and have another chance with a five-meter scrum, I think there needs to be better awareness about that from not – Probably just from a coaching perspective, too, because I'm sure if it was mentioned enough and coached enough, it wouldn't be happening as much. So that's a point which I think needs to get sorted out a bit. Um, but also, yeah, I, I was impressed with Camp when he came on. I mean, he's mm. unlikely to go on the plane because he's probably, you know, seventh choice prop on both sides, you know, if you put them together. But uh, he didn't put a foot wrong and he had a, very, a couple of very nice scrums and some good touches, too. So... I think if if needed, if we if Ox is struggling to recover or if someone else gets injured, I think he looks like a pretty good option to have as uh, you know as a backup.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's our wrap up of the first round of I guess the World Cup warm up matches in earnest. Now that all the competitions have finished up, uh, things are looking very very interesting, and they're going to get more interesting from here on out. So. Uh, later this week, we are hoping once the Springbok squad is announced to put out another episode dissecting that for you Giving our views and opinions whether you like them or not, but I guess since you're listening you like to hear what we have to say so uh, For for the three of us. I think that's it uh, any parting shots from the two of you Just
2: just uh, su- gonna be super interesting to see what the coaches do in terms of that final selection Um Like we said, some players are obviously going to be super disappointed, but it's part of the process and we'll be there to dissect.
0: Cool. Things only get more exciting and interesting from here. So we'll catch you again later this week. Cheers.